Happy Father's Day, everybody. Big shout out to all the dads in the house. I hope that you enjoyed that video. I'm sure that you can all relate with at least one of those dads. Not me. I don't know. I don't know who that was up there. Uh, but I hope that you've enjoyed service so far. I hope that you've had an appreciation for the bacon photo shoot we have out front. The putting green that we have in the lobbies. Big shout out. Uh, congratulations, by the way, to those that won the putting contest. Uh, man, come on. Hey, if that's inspired you to get out and play more golf, I just want to encourage you, be, be sure and bring two pairs of socks just in case you get a hole in one. <laughs> Could not start Father's Day without a dad joke, right? <laughs> but in all seriousness, happy Father's Day to all the dads. I want to welcome everybody in the room. Welcome uh, our Boynton Campus, Lake Worth. Can we just join in and welcome our Boynton Campus joining us? We love you guys. I miss you today. And Boynton and Lake Worth together, let's, let's just welcome all those joining us online from across the world today. One of those people joining us being my own father, I just want to wish a happy Father's Day to you. Uh, I grew up watching my dad on a platform much like this preach the Word of God, and so for me to get to stand here today is really a kind of a cool thing. It's a privilege and an honor, and Dad, you're my hero, so I love you. Happy Father's Day. Hey, today I get the opportunity to continue this series that we've been going through called Rationalize. Rational Lies. And it's all about our capacity as human beings to believe things, stories, and lies that just aren't true. Maybe we rationalize them in our brain and we accept them as fact. And the issue is that it begins to impact our thoughts and it begins to impact our emotions. But more than that, it begins to impact the outcomes of our lives. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Junior kicked us off, and the lie that he exposed for us was that our task list is more important than our rest. I don't know about you, but that one hit hard for me, right? In a day and age where the hustle and the grind is glorified above all things, this idea that actually it's in reverse, that our task and our work isn't actually complete until we rest, it's such a countercultural thought, right? But how challenging for us. Just this past weekend, Pastor Scott exposed the lie that little choices have little consequences or rewards. But the truth is that little choices are like little seeds that grow into big trees that produce much fruit. In one way or another, we're gonna have to eat that fruit, right? I don't know about you, but that message has stuck with me all week long. Like all week long in multiple conversations, meetings, situations, that concept, that reminder, that truth has come to my mind. For instance, every Monday morning, we do a review meeting of church. We, we take a look at what worked well, what didn't work well. It's only 30 minutes, and for me, who, again, I have a hard time slowing down sometimes, I feel like it's a waste of time. I feel like we're not really moving mountains in that process. But after that message and after that epiphany, I realized, hey, you know what? Actually, over time, we've come a really long way in making Sunday service and Sunday church better. It didn't happen all at once, but little things over time grew into big impact and big results. The heart behind this series, the reason that we're going through this in the first place is because we want all of you to live an abundant life. We want you as your pastors to live an abundant life. I want to live an abundant life. I've never met anybody that would say that they don't want to live an abundant life. Who doesn't want a life that's marked by joy and peace and fulfillment? 
Who doesn't want to get to the end of your days and look back on your life and say, that was a life well lived? We all want that, right? I have good news for us today that the desire for us to live an abundant life is actually in complete alignment with God's desire for your life. In fact, it says in John 10, 10, that the enemy comes not only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus, have come that you would have life and that you would have it more abundantly. Are you thankful for that? The thief comes to steal. Who's the thief? It's Satan, right? He's also referred to in John 8, I believe, as the father of lies. So the father of lies comes to steal, but Jesus, who is the truth, comes to give you abundant life. The word abundant there that's used in the Greek is parison, which simply means to exceed your expectations more than you would anticipate or expect. What we're saying here, what Jesus is saying, I've come to give you life, not just a good life, but one that would far exceed the expectations that you'd even have for yourself. So we've got to remember that. We've got to see that. And we have to understand the fact that we can't pursue an abundant life and believe lies at the same time. So today I want to expose a lie that I believe is one of the greatest uh, barriers to us living an abundant life. And that's this, that who I am and what I have isn't enough. Who I am and what I have isn't enough. Who I am, the way that God's made me, the way that he's wired me, the giftings he's given me, the way that he's blessed me, the position that I'm in, the money that I have, it's not enough. Before I get into how we can replace this lie with the truth, though, I want to first illuminate one of the primary ways that we come to believing this lie in the first place, and that's this. We compare ourselves to other people. Comparison. It's that simple. And honestly, it's probably not even that shocking, right? Like we do this all the time. We go driving down the road, you're rolling down in your truck and you look left and that guy's truck is bigger than your truck. Next thing you know, you're in the body shop getting your truck lifted. I see all you homies parked out there on the grass. I see all those trucks. I just got a truck too and it might be time to make some modifications. Here I come. You go to the gym, you see the body that you wish you had, so you start hating your body, and so you start doing the, the fad diets that don't work, and it just goes into this cycle, right? Or you go to the restaurant, you order your meal, you sit down, and it comes out, you're all excited, your mouth starts watering, but then the guy three tables down, his fajitas come walking by, just putting on a spectacle. They're smelling all good, looking amazing, sounding great. You're not happy. If this sounds like you, you're not alone. We all do this. In fact, we are hardwired to do this. In the 1950s, the social comparison theory was published, which states this, that individuals determine their own social and personal worth based on how they stack up against others. So to test this theory, scientists took a deep look at the ventral striatum. The ventral striatum makes me sound really smart when I say it, like I know anything about brain science. But I've done my research, and I can tell you this. The ventral striatum is the part of your brain that lights up, and it serves as the prominent role of reward processing. Okay? So they decided to do a little experiment to test this. So they would bring two people in at one time, and each person would be given a simple test to take. And they're, said, they're told this. Hey, take this test. Based on how you do, it doesn't matter how the other person does. Based on how you do, we're going to give you a monetary reward. So we're going to pay you based on your performance. 
So the two participants, they'd go and they would take the test. The scientists would collect the results. Just before they'd go in and share the results with the participants, they'd put that fancy brain image scanner thing on their brain so they could see what's happening, right? The results are fascinating. What they found was that the ventral striatum, the reward processing center of your brain, it lit up, it didn't change in how it lit up based on absolute reward. In other words, it didn't matter if you made $30, $60, or $90 based on your performance. The only thing that made an impact in that reward center lighting up was if participant A made more than participant B. If I make more money than this person makes, then I actually experience the reward. Why is this significant? Because your gratitude, your fulfillment, your joy, your abundant life, you are hardwired in the opposite direction. It's not based on what you have and who you are. It's based on what other people have and what other people are. Do you see what a battle this is? We have to understand this. We have to understand where this leaves us. And God actually knew that this was going to be a battle for us. That's why the very beginning, God, he writes down on tablets, right, the top 10 things. If you can just don't do these things, you're going to be all right. The Ten Commandments, don't murder. We can all get on board with that, right? Don't steal. Obviously, don't steal. Don't commit adultery. How does he end this list? Don't covet. Don't wish you had what you don't have. Don't look at what other people have and wish that you had it yourself. He knew that this would be not good for us and that it would cause destruction in our soul. Think about kids at Christmas time, okay? Just put yourself in this position. Little Jimmy, little Sally, it's Christmas morning. They're all excited. They come storming down the stairs. It smells like bacon. Pastor Scott, it smells like bacon just everywhere. Can't even imagine the bacon smells in the ball, uh, home on Christmas morning. But they run into the living room. Little Jimmy, little Sally, they see all the gifts under the tree. They're all excited. You know, they divvy them up and they sit down. And just before they start opening them, Jimmy's little face starts to sink because he starts counting. One, two, three, four, five. He looks over at little Sally. One, two, three, four, five, six? Are you kidding me? So he starts having a meltdown. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about. This is not a good situation. It doesn't matter what's inside the wrapping paper of those gifts. It just matters that Sally had more than Jimmy. So Jimmy starts having a meltdown on the floor. Meanwhile, little Sally's ventral striatum is lighting up like a Christmas tree. Why? Because we're hardwired to do it. We are hardwired to compare who we are and what we have to other people. It is our natural tendency. The thing is, it's getting easier and easier to do this too, right? Consider this. We're hardwired to compare ourselves. Got it. In walks social media. Come on, how many of you know that social media is like the golden corral of comparison? <laughs> it is an all-you-can-eat buffet. It's open 24 hours a day. We are constantly, constantly inundated with the happenings of other people, their selfies, their trips, their meals, their experiences, their kids. And what the really twisted part is this, that when we look at somebody's highlight reel, we think that it's for real. And so we start comparing who we are and what we have compared to somebody else, and it's not even real in the first place. They're not that funny. They spent 10 hours writing that caption. 
Their kids aren't that well behaved. We all know how that goes. That took 17 tries to get them to both smile. The trip wasn't that great, beautiful beach or whatever, beautiful mountains, but they fought the whole time. Come on, we're comparing ourselves to things that aren't even true in the first place. Teddy Roosevelt's famous for his quote. He says that comparison is the thief of joy. So it's no wonder when we take a look at the data sheet that Pastor Scott shared with us a couple weeks ago about the effect of social media and internet use on our uh, mental health, it's no wonder that as social media use increases, as internet use increases, we can see, I think we have the chart to throw up there, we can see that the, the depressive symptoms and the thoughts of suicide go right along with it. When we compare ourselves to other people, it robs us of our joy. The danger is this, that comparison, this thing that we're doing, because it's so common, because it's all over the place, we start to minimize the effect that it has on our brain. We start to numb ourselves to the fact that we're even doing it at all. Who I am and what I have isn't enough. We compare ourselves to other people. We compare what we have. We compare our stuff. Oh, look at that boat he got. Look at that car he got. Look at that house. Look at the money. Look at this, that, the other thing. Whatever it is, we compare ourselves to other people. And what happens? Instead of joy, because joy is robbed, it's replaced with jealousy. We become a jealous person. And the Bible says this about jealousy, James 3.16. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. So jealousy produces fruit that is in complete opposition to the abundant life. An abundant life is marked by joy and peace and fulfillment, while jealousy is marked with anger, greed, insecurity, anxiety, fear, you name it. It's the antithesis of what an abundant life is. But it gets even deeper than this, because we don't just compare what we have, right? We start to compare who we are. This is deep. This is our identity. This is how God has uniquely wired us. He's uniquely gifted us. We start saying, well, God, look at the gift of that person. I'm, I'm not like that person. I wish I had that personality. I wish you would have given me what you gave them. But what happens when we do this is we begin to bypass the design of God in the first place. See, God's design is literally that he would give different giftings different um, personalities, different talents to different people in the body that together we would come together in unity and accomplish much. In 1 Corinthians 12, 17 through 20, it says this, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? How many of you are grateful that your nose isn't an ear? That would look really weird, first of all, but you also couldn't smell those fajitas walking by. Just saying, very important that we have a nose. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, you, me, your kids, your parents, your neighbors, your coworkers, every single one of them, just as he wanted them to be. When we compare ourselves to others, we miss God's design, and when we miss God's design, we might just miss our purpose. So when I was in college, uh, I got to go to Nashville, Tennessee, all right, some Nashvilleians, some, I don't even know what you call them, Nash, Nash, Nashtown folks. I got some Nashville people in the house. I go to Nashville, I'm all excited. I grew up loving music, playing music, singing, playing, the whole thing, and I figured, hey, what better inspiration for a guy like me 
than to go to Nashville, to go to Music City, right? Home of some of the greatest artists that have ever walked the face of the planet. Some of the most iconic uh, venues of all time, places like the Ryman Auditorium, the Grand Ole Opry, places that you would just expect to find world-class music. Let me tell you what I didn't expect. First of all, that there would be live music literally everywhere. Like you could seriously walk into a Home Depot and there would be a band perched up on a stack of plywood playing to people. It's all seriousness though, like everywhere you go, public spaces, bars, restaurants, street corners, stores, bookstores, music stores, you name it, there's live music. World class music. It blew my mind that such talent existed in the first place. Some of the best talent that I'd ever seen up to this point in my life, I found in Nashville, and in most cases, they were, they were playing to audiences of zero. They were literally playing to nobody. And I began to compare myself. I began to say, man, I am not that talented. I am not that gifted. And these people are playing to nobody. Nobody cares about these people. And I, I even remember this. I said this to my buddy that I was with. I give up, dude. I don't, I, I, why should I even try? Look at this. This is so depressing. Can I tell you what I'm so grateful for, though? Is that I left Nashville two days later. <laughs> I got out of there, man. And I did not let that comparison sink in. And this is what I learned that God didn't need me to have the gift that he gave to somebody else to fulfill the purpose that he gave me. He needs the gift that he gave me to fulfill the purpose that he gave me. So I just wanna encourage you in this place today, if you feel like that you don't have a gift like somebody else's gift, that's not what God needs you to have. God did indeed give you a gift and he gave you a purpose and you are perfectly made. You are perfectly whole in that. So, the good news is this. Everybody ready for some good news? Uh, even though it's our natural wiring to compare ourselves to other people, uh, we're not powerless. We have the ability to control what we focus on. And so I wanna give us two ways to combat comparison in our lives. The first one is this. Focus on how God has blessed you, not how he's blessed other people. I want you to focus on how God has blessed you and don't focus on how he's blessed other people. Again, when we start moving fast and we become unintentional about this, we start wanting what we don't have. But when we stop and we're intentional and we just thank God for what he has given us, it sounds a little something like this. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for Andy. Thank you for my wife. Thank you that she's just the best thing that's ever happened to me next to you. Thank you for the kids that you've given us. They're so funny. They have so much personality, they have so much energy. So much energy. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for the roof over my head. Thank you for the gathering place that it's become, that it's become a house of worship and prayer. Thank you um, for food on the table. Thank you that I lack nothing. What am I doing? I'm focusing on how God has blessed me, and in return, instead of a jealous heart, I'm having a thankful heart. And what happens when we have thanksgiving? I want us to turn, look at this in the Psalm, Psalms 104, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Step one, get into the presence of God, what do we need to do? Have thanksgiving. So when we have thanksgiving and we begin to respond in worship and praise, we enter into the throne room of God in his presence. And in his presence there is 
joy. I actually was going to make a joke about how I was going to give a monetary reward to those of you that uh, didn't know, but you know, it's fullness of joy. <laughs> Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If comparison is the thief of joy, then his presence is the fullness of it. So we got to stop comparing what we have to other people. You want to combat comparison? Focus on how God has blessed you, not how he's blessed other people. Let it begin to generate thanksgiving in your heart. Make it practical, too. There's a lot of ways that you can do this. Maybe you spend five minutes every night before you go to sleep, and you just write five things that you're thankful for. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my church. Thank you for my job. Whatever it is, think about your day. Become thankful. But don't let it stop there. Respond in worship. It's so great to come to Sunday morning services and worship together. It's so great to come to Journey Worship Night, which we got one coming up in July, by the way. It's great to come to those. It's great to come to Encounter Nights, but don't neglect to worship in your own time, in the in-between. I'll never forget this one time. I was at a Publix, and I was listening to one of my favorite worship songs, Where You Are by Leland, and it just says, I want to be where you are, wherever you are, and the Lord said to me, I'm right there with you in Publix, and I was just wrecked. My arms are up in the bread aisle looking crazy. People are like, what is this guy doing? Don't neglect to worship. It's so important. It's so good for your soul. We're going to focus on how God's blessed us, not how he's blessed others. The next thing we're going to do is this, to combat comparison. We're going to see ourselves as God sees us. See yourself as God sees you. If there's anything that you can hear me say today, it's this. That you are seen, that you're known, and that you're deeply loved by God. You are deeply loved by God. Let me just show you how God values you, okay? How he feels about you. Ephesians 1.5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us. Stop there. What is an adoptive father? An adoptive father is a father that chooses you. He sees you, he knows you, and then he chooses you. He chooses you and brings you into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You see, the, the social comparison theory says that we find our worth and our value based on how we stack up against other people. But we have to start seeing how God values us. Do we want to know how God sees us, how God values us? We can see it in the demonstration of what he was willing to pay for you. He descended out of heaven. He put on flesh. He became the man of sorrows, the son of suffering. He died the death of a murderer on a cross because he saw so much value, so much worth. What was the cost? to adopt you into the family of God, his own blood, his own life. And he gladly, willingly, with great desire, he wanted to do that. Why? Why did he want to do that? Let's continue later on Ephesians, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. You're not a mistake. You're not his early work and it got better over time. You're not an accident. He didn't run out of paint. He didn't run out of clay. He didn't run out of ideas. You are a masterpiece that he's created anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. He made you on purpose for a purpose so you can do the good things he planned. What does that allude to? He has a plan for you. You're a masterpiece that he's perfectly created for the good work that he planned long ago. He has a purpose and a mission. You're not here by mistake. You're not here for no reason. He's got a plan for you. 
And the more time that we spend comparing ourselves to other people, the less time we spend fulfilling the call of God in our life. But the opposite is true. When we actually receive that and we start to see ourselves as God sees us as a masterpiece with a good work to do, we actually become an unrelenting force for the kingdom of God. And not only that, but we're not insecure about ourselves anymore, so we can become a cheerleader for the people around us, spurring them on, as it says in Hebrews 10, to do the good work that God has for them to do. And in the process, we step into God's design. As I step into my calling with my gifting, you step into your calling with your gifting, we come together and we start to change the world. We start to bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is God's design. This is God's design, and he's built you specifically into it. The same God that designed the grandeur of the universe, that set the stars in the sky, knows them by name, put the sun the perfect distance away from the earth, the one who created every single thing, every magnificent thing that you've ever laid your eyes on, that same God created you, and he says, no, 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 you're my masterpiece. You're my masterpiece. I'm not gonna lie, it's been a, it's been a pretty crazy season uh, for myself. It's been a wild six months. Lots of really great things, mostly really great things. Honestly, I've been blessed beyond uh, what I could imagine. Uh, but there's been some things that have been less pleasant. One of the really cool things is I've been given the honor and the opportunity to, opportunity to step into an executive leadership role here at the church. And uh, thanks. Um, such an honor. It, it truly is. Thank you. Uh, it's such an honor to step into that, to come under Pastor Scott and to help him with just leading this church. What a privilege. But it's come with some more weight. It's come with some more responsibilities. It's come with just more things to consider. And I would be lying to you if I told you that I haven't had moments where I've been comparing myself to other people. I'm like, God, are you sure about this? Like, I feel called. I feel like you've affirmed this decision. I feel like this is where you want me to be. But when I look at this leader over here at this church, they're older, they have more experience. Like, I don't know, what about this person, their gift of leading and teaching? They're so much better than me. And I start having this Moses moment, right? Like Moses is called by God to lead his people out of captivity into the promised land. And his first thing is like, well, Lord, like, are you sure about that? Like, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they don't follow me? And then he starts going in. Oh, actually, now they think about it, Lord. It's like, I don't, I'm not even a good speaker. I don't have eloquent speech. Like, I can't do this. It doesn't help when you have a critic either, right? When you've got that person that's just pointing out the areas that you're failing, you might be doing a lot of good, but in the, in the spots that you're not doing so well, there's that person that's just poking at it. The criticism of man which is a seed of jealousy, by the way. Remember, jealousy creates evil of every word. The criticism of man is one of those things. But the criticism of man, if we're not careful, can only reinforce the void that we feel between how we see ourselves and how God sees us. I learned that the hard way. But in the middle of all this, when everything was crazy, everything was wild, I was tired, frustrated, dealing with a lot of different things, Andy and I, we go out on a date and she tells me, hey, it's gotta be a, a shorter one because uh, the babysitter has to leave at seven o'clock tonight, which I was like, well, that's weird, but okay. 
Blue plate special it is, I guess. Early bird special is very popular around here, by the way. Very hard to get a table. And um, so we go and we have dinner and we come back. And as we come back, I notice that my driveway is totally full of cars. I'm like, that's weird. And then I look across the street and the parking lot for the park there is totally full of cars. And then I notice that there's people parked on my grass. Dads, can you believe that? They parked on my patch. How dare they? The audacity. <laughs> but there's cars everywhere. There's people walking into my house. And I just look over at Annie. I'm like, what's going on? And she says, I don't know. That's it. I don't know. And so I'm thinking as we're walking to the door, what could this be about? My birthday is in a week. So I'm like, oh, she's playing a surprise party for my birthday. How sweet. We walk in. There's 50 plus people in my house. And they all yell, surprise. And I'm like, oh, that's crazy. My birthday was next weekend. I never saw this coming. Except for the 7 p.m. call time. That was like, what's going on here? Uh, no, but Andy leans into my ear and she says, this is to celebrate you being at Journey Church for 10 years. I, um, it was a special moment for me. I was thinking about that, but I didn't think anybody else would remember that, let alone care. But here all these people were. Towards the end of the night, towards the end of the party, uh, my wife called everybody into the living room and we all stood in this big circle and they all just began speaking words of life over me. Words of encouragement, words of how I've made an impact and a difference in their life. And it moved me. They became the mouthpiece for God that was just reaffirming that even when you don't feel like it, even when you feel like you're failing or you're stretched thin or whatever it is, I've given you all that you need and that I'm making a difference through you and through your faithfulness. And I don't share that to make myself sound special or unique in any way because the reality is, is that each one of us has been called the masterpiece. Each one of us has been given a purpose and a calling. Each one of us has been given all that we need. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Everything we need to live an abundant life. Dads, you feel the weight. You feel discouraged. You feel like you have a really hard time balancing the work-life thing. You want to be there for your kids, but you also want to do well at work. And you feel like you're failing in between. You start comparing yourself to people like Pastor Scott who does these devos and these, these awesome values for his family and you think, I'm not that, I'm not that far along in my, in my spiritual journey. I can't lead in that way. You have been given everything that you need. You are a masterpiece and you've been given a mission and a calling to lead your family and you have more than enough. Look back in 10 years and just see what God does through you. Moms, mom guilt ends today. At Journey Church and whoever's listening, mom guilt ends today. When you compare yourself to how another mom is doing whatever they're doing to love and to support and to raise their kids, it, it just creates this insecurity inside of you and it doesn't need to be there in the first place. God has given you everything that you need. He's called you a masterpiece. He's given you the tools. He's given you the insight. He's given you the wisdom. And we can rest in that today. Who I am and what I have is more than enough. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 
when I focus on how God has blessed me and not how he's blessed other people, it creates a thankful heart where I enter into the presence of God and experience the fullness of joy that can only come from him. And I begin to see myself as God sees me, as a masterpiece with a purpose. And that lie just seems to fade away. So I just challenge us, I challenge you church, Boynton, Church Online, everybody here, Let's step into the abundant life that Jesus came to give, the abundant life that he bought and paid for. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you've blessed us, Father, more abundantly than we even have the capacity to see sometimes, God. The life that you've given us far exceeds what we could expect for ourselves. So we just say thank you. Come on, right where you are, just say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you've blessed me. Thank you for the way that you see me, Lord. Thank you that I'm not a mistake, that I'm not an accident. Thank you, Lord, that you've created me anew in Christ Jesus to be a masterpiece, to do a good work that you've planned for me, that you've built me into your design, that you've built me into the story. God, I can't help but be overwhelmed with gratitude and thanksgiving when I realize that, when I realize the love that you love me with. God, I just commit myself, just tell him this, I commit myself to living for you and for your glory. And as I do, I'm gonna focus on you've blessed me in the way that you see me so that we can make an impact on the world together and step into the full design, Father, that you designed from the very beginning. Lord, we love you. Lord, we bless you. We respond to your goodness, to your grace, and to your love with worship and praise. We enthrone you this morning, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen.